I want to kick off the panel with uh, sort of following up what I said uh, about kind of how do you define these categories. And I know um, that in one of the prep calls, Jariel made the um, astute point that you could look at a deal, a value-add deal, that's traded two or three times in the last five years, and they're still calling it value-add. And so we really have to understand, uh, yes, we all know that there's been a shift away from, uh, uh, a slight shift in a big country away from home ownership uh, to rentals. Sometimes it's not by choice. And then you have the issue of the millennials with having some kind of philosophical preference to renting almost everything in their lives, including clothing now. There's this woman's clothing thing that you could just rent. <laughs> Uh, you don't have to have any ownership uh, of, of your dresses or your men's suits. I, I suppose they have that too. Um, but what I really want to find out is you guys are in different markets. Where are these renters coming from? Um, who, who are the renters you're targeting? How long are they staying? You know, has, has there, are you seeing noticeable shifts in, 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 in that area? And any one of you could answer that. Sure. Um, so in terms of where are they coming from, most of our properties are in the suburbs. Um, and so they're, you know, they're, they're typically, uh, you know, coming from neighboring properties. Uh, one of the things that we find a lot is there is very little of this product type, particularly in the C, B minus space, which is where we play. And tenants are looking for a clean and safe. Um, and so if you can provide that product to them reliably, um, you will have uh, a, a high occupancy in your buildings. Um, uh, in terms of what tenants are, are looking for, um, they're really, you know, uh, two other themes but besides clean and safe. Um, they're looking for proximity to their jobs, um, and they're looking uh, for good school districts often. So that, that's what we find. Um, as value-add uh, company, um, and I know you joked about what, it, what is value add? Is it just improved marketing? Is it just increased rents? Is it amenities, et cetera? So we, we, we go all out. I mean, anything that we can do to the units, uh, so hardwood floors, new cabinets, stone countertops, tiled bathrooms, new paint, et cetera, there's not stainless steel appliances. There's not much more you can do to a unit. And then we look at the property. You know, what, what, what other amenities can we offer to increase occupancy uh, for a longer duration. So once we're done with a property, um, there's really not a lot more uh, value add uh, that, ca that can be done. Uh, so we look for properties, obviously, that are maybe 20% uh, below market, really go all out on the units and the amenities in the, uh, uh, in the community, and then get to market or above. And again, we, we don't necessarily look for um, we, we call it, you know, the top 1%. So who wants to live better? Who can, who can spend an extra couple hundred dollars and really uh, live in, in a nicer apartment than anywhere else in the area? And you're finding uh, lots of opportunities where the rents are 20% below market? Yeah, and deal flows is not an issue for us at all. In the state of Ohio? In the state of Ohio and, and surrounding areas, yeah. Right. And, and the rents are... are are really low as it is. I mean, we're, we're dealing with uh, buildings that might have $600 rents, $700 rents, so uh, getting, it up, getting it up from 600 to 800, um, the percentage is high, but it's, it's, it's a couple hundred dollars, so. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I'll just follow up on what Eric was saying. We've had a, a somewhat different experience uh, 
it's really, really um, challenging for a lot of people in a $600 apartment in the markets that we're playing in to step up oftentimes to an $800 apartment. I can tell you that we recently sold a property in Jacksonville and um, the, we renovated about a quarter of the units there uh, and we're pushing rents on average about $100. So we had, when you came to the leasing office, we had classic units and we had the renovated units. You know, call a two bedroom, $700 classic and $800 renovated just for, for argument's sake. And nine out of 10 people that came into the office only wanted the classic unit. The people that wanted the renovated unit, oftentimes they couldn't qualify. You really have to be careful. And I don't know the Midwest, but we've had to really pay close attention Yes, where are your comps? And in addition, where are the incomes? At that property, the typical tenant was working in fast food. That extra $100, $200 for them was a dramatic increase. And, um, and what was the cost of the renovations that you wanted to push so those rents up? We have two tracks. We sort of have what we uh, jokingly call the spiff, which is like a two to $3,000 renovation. You're talking um, two to three thousand dollars above turn costs, new flooring fixtures, um, refinish or um, spray the countertops and uh, refinish the the cabinets. No new appliances. Then for a hundred dollars, we'll give them oftentimes a five or six thousand dollar renovation where we throw in new appliances on top of that, um, and um, you know new ceiling fans, new uh, maybe we'll put in the six panel doors in those. Um, but it's, it, it, it's something that we paid close attention to. And when we sold it, the, the buyers came in to hit the, you know, to hit the bid and to win the deal. They are projecting to renovate hundred percent of the units. I just would go in with some caution and, and really see if your prospective tenants in that submarket can afford that hundred dollars to $200. It doesn't sound like a whole lot to us, but if you're working at fast food or an assistant manager at uh, the Verizon store, it's a significant step up and you lose a few hours at your job, you're not making rent. So um, it's just something that we've seen, not in every submarket, but in certain places, undoubtedly. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point because look, when you think about value add, so, and, and you alluded to this uh, before, Eric, I mean, what are the different categories, right? You can have below market rents and you're adding value uh, through better management and better marketing and actually having, you know, uh, somebody who's, uh, who knows how to rent apartments at the sales office. So there, you could have um, just a high vacancy for other reasons. There could be real renovation issues. And so, you know, when you, you know, the, sort of the classic thing in our industry is, you know, you buy something, you do some value add, you prove the case, right? You show the business plan works because you've renovated 25% of the units and then you're leaving meat on the bone for the next buyer, right? And so, you know, the way I think about this is, well, there's, you know, as I mentioned, there's all kinds of different types of meat on the bone. And sometimes uh, the, there is no meat on the bone, even though you've left all this renovation and so that sort of makes me think about for each of you guys, what is the ideal type of value add that you'd like to do? Like what is the ideal profile of a property as you go out and, and search for new acquisitions um, that gets you most excited where you think you could bring the most value given the platform that you have? Sure, I mean, I, I, I can 
take that one first. Uh, you know, I, I think first off to a point that Jerry all made, that the spectrum is, is broad, right? I mean, you, you can go in and spend $1,000 a unit, you can go in and spend 10. Um, what we have, or more, uh, what, what we have found is we prefer lighter lifts, um, you know, just because uh, the intensity of management, both on the construction management and property management side to take buildings um, and spend, you know, significantly more money than, you know, call it 15 or $20,000 a unit. Um, to, that's just not our strong suit. Um, so we prefer uh, lighter lifts, but there's, there's a, a really broad spectrum out there. And I, I, I would say that we actually prefer heavy lifts. Uh, so the more we can do to the property, uh, again, we're fully integrated, so. So you're looking for Cs, not Bs. We're, we're looking for Cs that we can turn into Bs, B pluses, right? Um, and Peter and Jariel, you're looking for, would you define it as Cs or Bs that you're looking for? Just, and we'll get back to you. We, we, yeah. I mean, we really do, we do both. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the other differentiator between Eric and, and our group is uh, we're not looking to, um, you know, spend a lot of money on unit turns. We're not looking to build amenities. Um, we're really looking for properties that, as they exist today, typically they have non-professional ownership mm. and the rents are already under market. And right. so when we come in, we're spending, you know, again, doing a light lift, spending a small amount of money and just bringing the rents to market. Um, so that that's just differentiator right. between Eric's strategy and ours. Yeah, so, so no, just, just uh, quick, lanky question, B or Cs, what are you looking for? We'll look anywhere in that space. We'll anywhere. straddle the line, anything, anything in there is fine. And back to Eric. No, so, so we look for that too, right? So we look for below market rents, but we also look for properties that we can take to that next level. And, uh, you know, the property has to check a lot of boxes. Like, can we bring technology in? Can we bring a really fancy uh, pet park, dog park, with jungle gyms and park benches and, and whatever else? Because at the end of the day, uh, it really does increase occupancy. It does give you a more marketable product than anything uh, uh, around the area. It gives your leasing agents more confidence uh, and so on to, to get the higher rents. So we're, I, I don't want you to think that, you know, spend a couple of hundred bucks or, or whatever else or a couple thousand dollars just like that. We, we, we check a lot of boxes to make sure that we can, in that community, find the tenants that, that do want that additional uh, better product. In other words, if the, market, um, if the market could absorb it, you will spend the time, effort, and money to be is anyone thinking about, or um, when uh, looking at deals, thinking about moving B's really to an A, or just, you well, know, again, these are fungible definitions, but, or, or, or is nobody really trying to compete with the A's? You can, I think a lot of these markets, first of all, I think the old adage is true, there's only so much you can do with eight foot ceilings. Typically, we're buying 60s, 70s, 80s deals, they have eight foot ceilings, they're not going to be an A. Well, I could get shorter, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, beyond that, there's in so many of these markets, there's uh, a tremendous amount of new A supply coming on. Uh, we feel like we're in a good space in that in that you know clean, nice, uh, relatively amenitized C plus B minus range 
Um, and you know, like what Eric said, we'll add the, the pet parks. That's an inexpensive way to add an amenity. We'll add um, other very inexpensive amenities. A sport court is, is not expensive. If you, if you have the extra land, obviously, you don't always, but you'll convert a, a tennis court maybe to a sport court. You can con kind of carve out a little bit of area and an underutilized clubhouse for, um, for a small fitness center. And, and these are things, let's be frank, these are things that are good for the tour path. People see these things on the tour, how often they're using them. Um, probably less than they anticipate, but they're great for the tour path. And they can say, you know, it, it's a value play. I'm going into the complex that has the pet park, the, the fitness center, um, and I can spend a lot less than, than the, the B plus down the street. Um, and I also wanted to just kind of add on to what Peter said. I think um, inefficient management in this space, you, you do see a lot of that. As the cycle matures, we're seeing a little less of the you know, mom and pop type ownership. We are seeing a lot of professional management companies that are in there, but maybe they're not using um, kind of um, best practices. Maybe they're not using LRO. Maybe they're, um, they're, they're losing some, some revenue because they're not rubbing back um, some of the utilities. And uh, you see that even very often with professional management companies. So, and that's another thing that we, that we look for. I know, Eric, you, uh, you know, besides dog parks, you mentioned um, when we were talking about um, other kinds of improvements, some of them kind of a little out there that are very interesting, something about the robot greeter. <laughs> I mean, I'd just like to hear about no, I, some of these creative, low-cost um, improvements, amenities that, uh, that, that uh, you guys are doing that are yeah, adding value. So again, we're, we're always looking to push the, the envelope. Uh, all of our uh, units that we've turned over in 2018 have technology in it. So a smart thermostat, uh, uh, an Alexa, a speaker, um, and uh, USB outlets. Uh, uh, in the bathrooms and and a couple other things, but we look at it and say, okay, that's going to cost us four hundred and fifty-seven dollars uh, minus the hundred dollars that things would have cost us anyway. That three hundred and fifty dollars uh, increases rents by ten dollars a month. But more importantly, again, the marketability uh, and tenants get used to it. So once you get used to technology, you you live with it, you love it, um, and you stay. Uh, same with dog parks. We we take it. It's not we we try to take it to another level. So we've actually partnered up with uh, dog shelters in our area, and we waive the pet fee uh, um, and the initial pet fee and the first month if they rescue a dog, and we market that and uh, and so on. Um, so it's 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 trying to to push the envelope. Uh, for a thousand plus community, we looked at a convenience store, we looked at concierge services, car washes. Wow. Um, again, just, wow. just just to push the envelope. And if I had a car, I'd like to live there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, right. Uh, Peter, you, you know, just generally speaking, you don't really get paid that much when you go in and, and uh, fix the roof and take care of a lot of the other deferred maintenance. But I know you have some ideas on that and how you look uh, at uh, at properties when you're evaluating potential acquisitions. And, you know, I think um, that is part of value add, right? And uh, even if you don't always get paid for it, I just wanted to uh, hear a bit from you about your approach to, to deferred maintenance. 
Sure. Uh, so, you know, the most common deferred maintenance that we see, you know, what Robert said, uh, the roof, uh, boilers, uh, pipes, um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, you know, the tip, typical things in unit like appliances, uh, those are all the most common deferred maintenance items. And I, I think the, uh, the important thing to do is to put a framework in place to think about how you're going to um, in, increase uh, NOI. So first off, it starts at the asset. You know, can the asset uh, be improved? Uh, what are the regulations, uh, the municipal regulations surrounding it? Um, and, and then ultimately, uh, what investment are you going to have to make and what can you charge in rents? As, as you know, I said earlier, uh, typically when we are going into an asset, we're uh, bringing the rents to market. So we, we're not required to spend a lot to do that besides you know, fixing the appliances, putting in new countertops, um, and then making sure that the, the structural issues like the roof, parking lot, things like that um, are taken care of. Anybody doing things like uh, solar panels and that kind of stuff? We, We've looked at it. Um, to date, we haven't been able to, to make mm. it work. Um, we actually, uh, on the development side, uh, we're building a self-storage facility and we're doing a uh, green roof with solar panels on top and, and that um, that's working. Um, and, and a little bit more on the technology stuff. So you talked a little bit about some of the things. What, 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 what is the biggest rent increasing new technology out there? Right, there are all kinds of ways, you know, for people to control their doors, um, which still, to me, does a, I, I'm a little, um, it's a little concerning, right? The same way that it's concerning with this whole electric car um, uh, craze that hasn't happened yet, um, where people are afraid that it's easy to hack. Um, are are you, you know, in buildings where there aren't, you know, uh, where where people are controlling stuff remotely? Uh, does that does that concern you? Is that something interesting? Is that something that's going to raise the rents? Um, other technologies that uh, you know we see vendors uh, at uh, the conferences. I, I'm just really curious. There's a whole new wave of prop tech, right? Nobody knew the word prop tech uh, five years ago, and now there's VC funds and there's a whole industry uh, that's been created about uh, <coughs> real estate technology. And you know, maybe as uh, guys on the ground uh, in, in, in that space, I, I would like to hear a little bit more about what are, uh, at, at the moment, what you see as the most valuable uh, technologies. So you mentioned electric cars. We're, we're adding electric charging stations really? to our apartment buildings. Wow. Yeah, so we ordered, uh, I believe, six last month. Um, so they're available to the public as well, so not just the tenants. So you can set them to where they're free for tenants, maybe for a year or whatever else, and then to the public, uh, it shows up on their map and, and so, so your, on. Do your tenants so, have Teslas in the B and C property? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, they're getting there, they're getting there. Not Teslas, but uh, but there's, I mean, every car maker makes. Right, no, I know, I know. Being a semi, so that's interesting. Yeah. And then, and you're saying open to the public so anyone can come to the property and Give you a, give exposure to the property and charge. Exactly, exactly right. Very interesting. Exactly right. Definitely novel stuff. And other and uh, technologies revenues. that you guys are looking at? I mean, we, we haven't uh, deployed anything uh, on the B and C side, um, mm -hmm. but I know for our urban properties that we're developing, uh, we start with kind of what, what are the pain points uh, the tenants face. So uh, packaging <coughs> or packages uh, are big pain point right now. So there are lots of technologies out there that have 
smart lockers. Uh, so we're looking at that. Uh, we've also um, uh, we've used Latch before, uh, which we've we found has been great. And then there there are other uh, companies that are starting to play in the BNC space on kind of the fintech uh, side, which are Till. Um, I don't know if anybody out there has heard of Till, but they basically provide loans for tenants uh, that need them to pay rent, and they pay uh, the landlord directly. Uh, and then uh, on the insurance side, uh, Canopy and Rhino are two fintech companies. Uh, again, we, we have not used them yet, but they are for uh, renter's insurance. See, Yeah, I was just going to say, we see a lot of those new products that Peter mentioned. Uh, we haven't. We've implemented um, some uh, of that stuff on the on the on the uh, security deposit and renters insurance side, but other than that, we're not rolling out uh, electric charging stations. I think that sounds really uh, neat, but it's just not something that's um, a priority for the the demographic that we're typically serving. Mm. I know I mentioned it before, but we like LRO. It's nothing cutting edge, but we found that it is effective in this space, at least in virtually all of our portfolio and just um, mm -hmm. you know, smoothing out the rent roll and, and, and pushing rents. All right, so that's on the revenue side. On, on the expense side, and you know, this kind of fits into these questions about technology and about what renovations you do, where, where are you con concerned about rising costs in the next 12, 24 months? Is it on the labor side? You know, especially in value-add uh, properties where you're doing renovations, is it materials? I mean, where, where, what are you trying to manage for in terms of rising costs? We've, we've had um, severe labor issues in, in some of the markets we're in. Uh, it's been difficult. There's one property that we just could not, uh, it's in Jacksonville. Um, we could not keep our maintenance guys because Amazon opened four new fulfillment mm -hmm. centers in the market over the last 24 months, and they can just have uh, no on-call requirements at Amazon. They're just, I guess, not around the same amount of money, good benefits. They can say they work for Amazon, and But they could not. live in your good news. You do. pitched it. Hey, Amazon is coming That's to That's right. Town. We will have right. no one to take care of their clogged toilet, but uh, right. you know, they can live in our apartments. So <laughs> certainly that's been an issue, and also, um, in terms of getting uh, contractors to perform um, some larger CapEx projects, frequent delays. We've had people that have walked away from bids just because, mm. hey, you know, we, there was a hurricane 300 miles away and we're gonna go there. And these are not fly-by-night type companies, but just companies that are also dealing with um, a, a finite labor pool and- um, A lot of demand. A lot of demand, so that's been an issue, certainly. And material costs, has that been? Yeah. yeah tariffs absolutely. and all that. Eric? Um, material costs, uh, I, I don't know that I worry about it. Mm -hmm. um, we were actually, again, growing and achieving some cool economies of scale uh, right now. It's getting uh, better pricing. So getting better pricing, ordering direct from China um, uh, on quantities. Um, so maybe that scares me is some of the tariff stuff and so on, but. Uh... I can just say just anecdotally, one thing we've had, um, we've had uh, shipments of washer dryers delayed by four plus months hmm. um, at, at uh, a couple properties that were renovating laundry centers. And that's 
I'm told directly related to the, the China tariff issues. Wow. And there's just not a whole lot we can do about that. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Peter, any comments on yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll echo what Jerry L said. We, we, I think labor uh, is incredibly challenging, both on the property management side and on uh, the general contractor, subcontractor side. Uh, we have similar situations where we'll just see subcontractors stop bidding on something if we ask too many questions. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge. And then on the materials side, we haven't seen it again for uh, class B and C product, but certainly when you start talking about development, uh, we have seen substantial uh, material cost uh, increases uh, from our general contractors on development deals. You know, one of my um, uh, um, things that I think about when I think, and I mentioned before, <laughs> you know, of turning, uh, of going from C to B and B to A, and can you go, so you're not really seeing competition in the markets you have if there is new supply coming from A properties. But in a downturn, which everyone is anticipating uh, coming next year, or has been for the last 10 years, anticipating that it's coming next year, um, how do you see your properties uh, holding up? Uh, you know, people in the A properties will shift down to B. Are the B people going to shift down to C? Are the C people going to start going to mobile home communities? How do you see the stickiness of your uh, tenants? I, I mean, I, I certainly. Uh I don't believe it's a secret that uh, corporate credit uh, is challenging right now, uh, and the impact uh, will likely be that middle market companies will uh, lose jobs, uh, and many of those jobs will be people that live in our buildings. And so uh, the way that we approach it is just to start on the acquisition side and look at sensitivity analyses and how much vacancy our property can really support. Uh, that, that's where we start uh, because it, it's a foregone conclusion that there will be that type of dislocation at some point. Anyone else? <laughs> Eric? Um, yeah, part, part of every evaluation is what do we do if, if uh, you know, we do experience vacancies. So we're, we're now looking into the, the Airbnb economy and, mm. and how do we, you know, quickly furnish these units and, and, and use products like that to, to fill them up. Yeah, I, I think there will be that trickle-down effect, uh, potentially. Um, we keep relationships with a lot of um, groups that do sponsor tenants. We typically don't have many um, uh, the, of the subsidized tenancy at our properties, but we have relationships with different groups that would like to take spots at our properties um, whether it's uh, kind of uh, a uh, program to get people out of rehabilitation into permanent housing um, or just the housing agencies, we have those relationships. And, and there's a number of startups also, I think, that do that kind of corporate, uh, you know, kind of a slight Airbnb model, but for, you know, one and two year terms, they'll yeah. take a chunk of apartments. In, in certain you know. sub-markets, we've had... Uh, it's an exciting hotel. <laughs> um, sorry about that. Yeah, in certain submarkets, it's a, a submarket by submarket thing. We have, a, we have some stuff in Augusta. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of corporate relocation type mm -hmm. opportunities in, in that in that market, generally speaking, and others. Yeah. 
We are. Um, so it, that's sort of like an executive, executive stay model within units in, in that building, I guess. Right. Something like that. So, but sort of following up on that, and we mentioned it before, Peter, so another, another way to kind of deal with this shifting down is the roommates or the co-living, and I definitely am interested in uh, that model and how, uh, how it's uh, picking up steam and, and you know, what you're doing in that space, because clearly that is yet another way to value-add uh, properties if you can create, uh, you know, um, a way that uh, WeWork gets more dollars per square foot by cramming uh, people into, into space, and I'd love to hear more about that, kind of the shared economy. Sure. Uh, so <coughs> first, we have not uh, done co-living in uh, the suburbs. Uh, we do it uh, in urban environments, and uh, particularly in very well-located sites in the gateway markets right now, uh, we're in uh, DC, in the Shaw, Columbia Heights, uh, and U Street neighborhoods, for those of you who, who know DC. And just to define um, co-living, I think there's this sexy new term, co-living, but when you, know, when you graduated from college and you got four buddies together and you went and rented a, a townhouse, that's co-living. So it's, it's not a new business, it's just roommate-style housing. Uh, it's just what these operators, and I really think of them as property managers or brands similar to hotels. You've got Four Seasons, you've got Marriott. Uh, you've, in in co-living, you have Common and Medici and Collective and some of those other folks that, that you've heard. And, and, and really what they're doing is they're taking the pain uh, or friction out of living with roommates. Uh, they're making it all-inclusive, they're providing cleaning services, uh, and, and the way that we think about it is it's really affordable housing. Uh, in our buildings in D.C., we are at least 30% below market studios and one-bedrooms. So if you want to spend, as an example, $1,500 to live in Shaw, we're your only option other than renting a two, three, you know, bedroom unit um, with, with your friends. Uh, and when you're moving to a new market uh, and you don't know that many people, that can be challenging. So we, and one of the reasons that we like co-living so much is we believe it will be uh, at least cycle resilient in that if you are renting a $2,600 one bedroom or studio in these markets uh, and you lose your job or uh, you, uh, have some sort of economic event. You're all of a sudden paying for, you know, your, so a bill for your parents. Um, you can go and rent a co-living unit and save. In, in one, you know, in this example, rent a co-living unit for fifteen hundred dollars and save a thousand dollars, eleven hundred dollars a month. Uh, that's that's a, a big delta. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you know, like the comparison uh, for office space to WeWork. You're actually helping, you know, especially uh, you know, young college graduates socialize. So you're adding um, a whole um, sector of value add to value add, which is, uh, and some of these places have programming, sure. and, and they have, you know, small apartments. Everyone's got their own room, but a lot of amenity space. And I, I think that goes back to this mm -hmm. is a spectrum, and there are groups that are going to be the Four Seasons, mm -hmm. and there are groups that are going to be the Holiday Inn, right. uh, and we. Our, our perspective, we, we'd like to be on the holiday inside of things uh, and really be that affordable play. 
but uh, certainly there, there are groups that are focusing a lot on community um, uh, like, like Common and, and uh, the collective. You know, I raise equity for, um, as I said, mostly for existing value-add properties, refinancings, acquisitions, but I do also raise capital for development, and every once in a while, you know, people are asking me, so they're building an A-class property? Well, nobody really builds B-class properties. <laughs> I mean, I think you're, you're in development, right, Peter? I don't think uh, either of you guys are doing development, but I mean, is there a concept of building B-class properties that are not, you know, on affordable, official affordable programs? With, with costs where they are, I, I, this is market specific, obviously, right. but with costs where, where they are, that's one of the reasons why we started investing in the, these class B and C properties is the barrier to entry is you cannot build a new product mm -hmm. and charge the rents that we charge. So you started out more doing development and then you started doing Correct. Uh, Correct. acquisitions. We just saw existing. the market opportunity and, and we, we love that barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. Are there, you know, modular construction firms? Is there a kind of construction? Okay, great. Everyone remain calm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so are, yeah. are there kind of con construction technologies right. out there? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, we used to sublet space to a company that uh, is, is actually getting traction that um, did modular building out of, uh, out of um, reconstructed shipping containers. Um, and uh, I think there are a couple of them around. They're, they're one of the bigger ones, and it, it, it's, it's very interesting to see um, where, where that's an advantage, uh, the, the lower costs. Um, we talked a lot about the different kinds of value-add, um, but not always mentioned when you talk about what a new sponsor coming to an existing property uh, could do to, uh, to, to, to increase uh, um, income and to and, and to make it interesting for equity investors is kind of the financial engineering, right? So our last topic for today is um, with respect to finance, right? What kind of structures or um, uh, financial engineering ha have you done or seen that um, is part of your value add uh, pitch and makes it interesting for you to come into, uh, into new opportunities? We, we try to stay away from financial engineering. We're, we're just real estate guys. I think okay. that's, that's, you know, that, that's a start. Uh, you know, the, the financing stack for workforce housing uh, is very simple. We're somewhere in the kind of 20 to 30% uh, syndicated equity, and then we're typically going straight to the agencies, uh, and they'll provide us with 75 to 80% uh, of purchase price financing, and it's, you know, 10 to 12 years fixed. Um, we've seen rates or last year before they, they've started to retrace now, but they went up last year about 100 basis points. Um, so we started in the kind of low fours and we ended up in the, in the low fives. Uh, and we're just uh, closing on a property uh, next week that's, you know, five, five and a quarter uh, with a Freddie small balance. So that's... And your equities from friends and family? We primarily work for family offices uh, and, and super high net worth individuals. I'll, uh, I'll give you basically the same, uh, same story that uh, Peter just shared, is that we're not getting uh, overly creative with, with financing. We're typically doing long-term fixed agency, you know, Fannie and Freddie. We've kind of graduated for the most part from the SBL stuff, but 
mostly conventional. Um, SBL limits have gone up a little bit, but um, yeah, we're doing longer term stuff. We think that the longer the 10, 12 year debt, we haven't taken 12 out yet. There's even 15 year product available. The 10 year product will allow us to feel good um, through any part of the cycle, or we hope that that'll be the case, uh, and gives you the flexibility to um, sell or refinance um, you know, at, at any point during those, those 10 years. Obviously there's yield maintenance, um, but it's interesting because with the confluence of you know, very high seller expectations and you know, rising uh, debt costs over the last several months, so many of these deals that are being brought to us uh, by brokers, they start off by telling you this is gonna be a bridge type deal. We haven't gone that direction yet. Uh, we're trying to stay away from that, that bridge product, but so many of the deals for the sellers to get the kind of economics they're expecting, it has to be bridge because otherwise the agencies are uh, gonna give you LTVs that are just not gonna um, you know, provide the kind of yield that you need. We've, we saw a lot of deals penciling out in the 50s and low 60s last year, um, towards the end of last year on LTV. Things have gotten a little bit better uh, January, February. This year we're now seeing stuff come back to the 70, 75 LTV range. We have not gone beyond 75. Virtually nothing, unless you're in a really tertiary market of the value add kind of opportunities is, is penciling out at above 75, very little above 70. So um, I'm sure there are needles in haystacks, but from all the stuff that we're seeing is 70 is really good right now mm -hmm. um, as far as uh, agency fix. Well, with, with respect to the bridge lenders here, I mean, the other option is when you're doing an agency loan is there, there are, um, it, it's easy, it's getting easier to, to put in a prep or a mez behind that and there are some good um, structures that make sense. You know, I was thinking more in that question about, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, one of the things you might look for that beat advantage is when there was a poor absentee management in a building, but sometimes the way that the deal was capitalized beforehand, not so much that you're coming in with, you know, fancy Wall Street or around this neighborhood engineering, but more, you know, the, the debt was a little crazy on the deal or the, the, the financial structure beforehand. I don't know if you're seeing that or is, is, is the financing mechanism these days so well oiled that when you're buying properties, I mean, are, you, are there deals where you're doing assumptions or is it pretty much you're coming in with your own uh, new financing on deals? I know from my perspective, I like it when there's an assumption because you're out there um, trying to find the ideal and optimum equity partner and when there's an assumption often you have a little time, uh, you know, because in New York deals have to close in, you know, outside of New York maybe you have 30, 60 days, here it's 30 or 60 hours um, and sometimes that, uh, that's a help. But I'm just uh, uh, wondering, maybe the markets are efficient. Um, I think we have time for a couple of quick questions if anybody would like to ask one question. Or you can do, be one of those guys who has one, but it's really two. For us? So we, it's a great question. Uh, we will model uh, somewhere in the seven to 10 range. Our preference is to hold for the long term. And what we're actually seeing is the families that we work for uh, don't want us to sell. Uh, one of their biggest problems is when sponsors like us need liquidity and then sell. And then they have to redeploy the capital, which is counterintuitive in, in, in my mind, but 
um, that's uh, seven to ten years. Going to match the right equity with the uh, with the right uh, uh, sponsors. So, anyways, thanks everyone uh, for uh, coming. Thank you. A very dynamic panel discussion.